This week's episode of Quality Control is brought to you in part by Gamefly. Are you ready to save money and play more games? Let me introduce you to Gamefly. This is the best way that I've found to buy and rent all of your favorite games. Go to Gamefly.com and you get to pick your favorite games and they mail them directly to your door. They are the leading video game rental service. They let you try your favorite games and movies now before you buy them. And you can keep those games as long as you want. You're never going to have to worry about late fees and you can cancel at any time. Just go to Gamefly.com slash quality control and start your free premium 30-day trial today. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies at a time. And you can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash quality control. Now go sign up and start playing all your favorite games today, absolutely free, for the next 30 days. My guest today is Julia Alexander. My name is Charlie Hall, and you're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Thank you for stopping by today, Julia. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on Quality Control. Oh, please. It's a pleasure to have you. I am so excited because tonight, Julia, I am going out to see Blade Runner 2049. And I know that you already saw it and you put up our review at Polygon.com. And that's what I want to talk about today. No video games for you. I want to talk movies. Now, First off, I want to find out where and how you saw this movie because it's such a sensory experience I got from your uh, from your from your review. Like where and and on what format and in what place did you see it? Yeah, I was very 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 fortunate. I live in New York City and we have access to um, the Dolby Theater and it's top-of-the-line Dolby speakers, and it's a very small cinema. It's usually used for press screenings or conferences. Um, so we saw, the, our, me and a bunch of other critics, saw it there. And it's like you said, Charlie, this movie is the type of movie that like, you need to see Blade Runner 2049 in theaters because of the sound. The sound helps tell the story, and uh, the score, I should say, helps tell the story. And having the best speakers available to hear it in is absolutely instrumental to enjoying this movie. I, I remember the first time that I saw the original Blade Runner, how strange the key changes were, how strange the tonality was, and then just how it how it filled my living room, right? I wasn't I didn't see it in the theaters. I think it was two years old when it came out, but I, I I'm really looking forward to this. What what makes this score so overpowering? Well, as I said in my review, the first thing that you notice about Blade Runner and kind of the last thing that you take away from it is the sound. It's, you just notice it. There's no way to ignore it. It doesn't just fade into the background like most other movie scores. Or if you think of something like Star Wars, it's not just used during a really important cinematic moment. Um, and it it does. It washes over you. I mean, this the sound just creeps inside your mind and it's it kind of flows throughout your body and it feels like you're grounded to your chair the the music the score specifically is so strange it's a combination of beautiful and eerie 
um, kind of like the original Blade Runner score. It's futuristic and it's dystopian, but it's also hopeful in scenes. And the most important aspect about the score is that it actually helps tell the narrative story. It, the, the score, uh, kind of like a horror movie, kind of helps you understand that, yes, this is a very important moment and, and we really need to pay attention to this or this moment is going to induce a panicky feeling in you and you're going to feel very anxious and that is what we're going for. And so you have to be aware of the score, which director uh, Denis Villeneuve is a... It's, uh, really makes it his intention to make sure that you're aware of it um, in order to really grasp what's happening. And because Blade Runner 2049, much like Blade Runner, is very slow to an extent and there's not as much dialogue, having the score operate as a conversation when other people on screen aren't talking or if there's nothing actually happening on screen is integral to the movie not feeling like it's just stationary the entire time. The other thing that you pointed out in your review was just the cinematography and the use of color, but I want to I want to get to that in a moment. But, you know, so much of your review as I read it was trying to avoid spoilers, and I don't want to get into spoilers because again, I haven't seen the thing yet. I don't want you to spoil it for me, Julia. Um, <laughs> but can you set the scene like when and where? does 2049 begin and how long has it been since the original so yeah 20 blade runner 2049 actually takes place in 2049 it's been 30 years since the original blade runner was set in 2019 um we're introduced to i'm going to try to keep this as spoiler light as possible we're introduced to officer k who is played by ryan gosling he is a blade runner for the lapd in an era where certain replicants are prohibited. They're no longer allowed to exist. There's a new line of replicants, the Nexus 9, that have been introduced uh, and created by Neander Wallace, who is played by Jared Leto. He's kind of this godlike figure. He helped end starvation after the blackout of 2022, I believe, um, which was a crucial moment in uh, leading up to the replicant prohibition. Um, and so he's a very important character, and he believes that replicants can overtake humans. He believes that they can become this great, uh, the, the basically the number one species. At the same time, there is a battle going on between replicants and humans, and this idea of, this, uh, of what they call, although I don't like it, but they refer to it as a species war. Um, and the comparison that gets made a lot and this is why I don't like the term. The comparison that gets made a lot is um, race war. Um, the movie does not handle certain themes well, and the use of that phrasing is very disturbing when it when it is used. Um, but eventually, and this isn't the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. Eventually, uh, Officer K meets up with Rick Deckard, who is played who uh, is played again by Harrison Ford. Um, who is somewhere. I can't say anything more than that. Uh, and their meetup is this royal affair. And like, as I, I said in my review, it's it's super hard to talk about any aspect of the plot because even the basic things, which I won't address, but even the basic things are huge spoilers for the actual story. And it's so interlinked and it's so... Heavily, it so heavily references the first movie 
that there's no way to avoid spoiling something in conversation if you talk about it long enough. Fascinating. I want to get to to some of the details of Gosling and Harrison Ford's performance. But first, I wanted to have a quick message from another of this week's sponsors. Today's episode of Quality Control is brought to you in part by The Art of Shaving, which was actually founded in New York in 1996. The Art of Shaving has been part of my morning ritual for about a year now, but it's been helping guys look their best for over 20 years. I use all four parts of their perfect shave system. I start with the pre-shave oil, then their shaving cream, a badger-haired shaving brush, and I use their aftershave balm. I'm particularly partial to the sandalwood and cypress, but I also do appreciate the odd suede as well. Now, the Art of Shaving offers a convenient replenishment service now, and it allows you to save on your favorite products while never having to worry about running out. Quality Control listeners are going to receive 15% off their first order if they would like to try the Art of Shaving, and they're going to get free shipping. Just use the promo code QUALITY at checkout. Go online to theartofshaving.com, use our special promo code QUALITY, and get 15% off your first order along with free shipping. Visit theartofshaving.com for this special offer, or for a consultation with a grooming expert, feel free to step into one of their many retail locations near you. So we're talking with Julie Alexander about her review of Blade Runner 2049. And, you know, I was I was really pleased to see Harrison Ford attached to this movie. I don't think that you could do Blade Runner, the sequel, without Harrison Ford. How does the old guy do? He is one of the best parts of the movie. Harrison Ford comes out and he is just Harrison Ford. There's very few actors where I use the phrase, they are their name, but Harrison Ford is one of those actors where he is so, he's a great actor, but he's so like his actual person that you just want to root for Harrison Ford. Um, other examples, although not to the same level of talent, are like Kevin Hart. Like he's just Kevin Hart or Tracy Morgan is just Tracy Morgan. Uh, Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard, he's definitely older and that's a little bit jarring, but he is just as able and just as uh, energetic and just as active as Ryan Gosling is in the movie. And he keeps up and he throws punch for punch um, and he really goes for it. It's also one of his more emotional performances. And I unfortunately can't get into more on that because it gets into spoilery territory. But he delivers a very strong emotional performance that is very captivating and it is um very i think telling of just the the range that he has as an actor that we don't always get to see because he's because he's always the stoic good guy like the good hero uh and that kind of goes away with Blade Runner 2049 and it's a really nice aspect of his talents as an actor to see how about Ryan Gosling? I, I don't care who you are, but getting up on the, the masthead with, alongside Harrison Ford has to be intimidating for any actor. Is he up to the task as well? Well, Ryan Gosling, uh, at, on a personal note, uh, broods in like cyber goth punk apparel for two and a half hours. So he's fantastic. Like I just, he's my favorite human. But <laughs> as as an actor, uh, he is more than good um he his character is specifically very spoilery so i'm going to try to avoid saying much but um what he's given to do 
he more than accomplishes and like exceeds any expectation I had for him going in. I think Blade Runner 2049 will, his role in the movie, I should say, will really appeal to anyone who has watched uh, Denis Villeneuve's earlier works like Enemy uh, or anyone who has watched Ryan Gosling's more independent work like Only God Forgives or Drive. Um, because it's that same level of commitment to a very interesting character that Ryan Gosling plays exceptionally well. And I wish I could tell you how good he is in certain scenes, but even just to mention them would be very, very spoilery. I want to talk a little bit about the cinematography in this movie. All of the images, all of the trailers, all of the stills, all of the, uh, the, the, the theater posters are so perplexing to me there is there is oranges and blues and purples there's this phantasmal gigantic woman reaching out of the mist to point to her massive finger at ryan gosling on a bridge i don't know what any of this means julia what, tell me about <laughs> what, what i'm gonna see tonight the word that i like to use to describe it was i think i believe uh used first by marilyn manson years ago uh but it's a fan uh, phantasmagoria there is something both fantastical about it and shocking and creepy and eerie um and that kind of describes the majority of the movie so the first half of the movie is saturated with this very like monochromatic tone so everything is bleak it's black and it's white and it's grays as but then once we get into the city of la this futuristic dystopian city then it kind of gets into every aspect of dystopian japanese um animation that we've seen so think akira everything becomes very vibrant and that is in itself uh, uh sad because it's very much a distraction from the actual monochromatic world that they live in and denis villeneuve does a really great job of juxtaposing that so from the outside looking in it's bleak from the inside looking out it's distracting and you don't really have to regard the bleak world that you live in because you're so surrounded by these vibrant neon um uh, trend, like translucent lights and he does a really good job with playing with that juxtaposition to show just how unhappy they are despite them thinking they're happy which I think is a very interesting theme in itself as the movie gets uh, closer to the end the monochromatic ambiance changes and we get these really really beautiful hues of orange and red and yellow and the first image that sparks in your mind is fire and fire can either breed to fire can either breed creation or it can be devastating. And Villeneuve kind of plays with that those themes and that ideology a little bit, and you don't actually know where it's gonna go. One of the best scenes, and I'll try to keep it pretty spoiler light, one of the best scenes takes place in um in a on a deserted in a deserted area, and it is and completely dark you can't really see anything and what Villeneuve does and it's it's so brilliant even just thinking about it, it gives me goosebumps he uses the blackness the pitch blackness of the screen in conjunction with the most intense part of the score to really make you feel anxious like you can't see what's going on but the score is coming in and it's louder and it's more aggressive and it's intense and you know something is happening but you can't see it and then once the scene changes, it change, it goes into this very yellowy orange hue and it leaves you hopeful about what has just happened, even though you're not really aware. 
And I think the important thing about Blade Runner 2049 is because it's a slow movie that doesn't have much dialogue, it really does rely very much on the score in partnership with the beautiful, uh, almost um, 2001 and Odyssey style shots to carry it through. And that is what happens. You watch this movie and the narrative might be its weakest part, but that almost doesn't matter because you are watching these stunning images set to this very, very captivating score for two and a half hours. And it's a, an incredible experience. One of the more awkward parts of our job, Julia, is this fact that you and I kind of have to toe the line between almost like an art critic, but also a business analyst on occasion. And since your review went up, uh, we've we've come to find that that Blade Runner 2049 is bombing at the box office. Every critic is raving about it. Everyone that I talk to on my on my Twitter feed loves what they've seen or can't wait to go see it. Why isn't this thing making any damn money? I think there's so I talk about this a lot uh, with fellow critics, and we so I think a couple things happened. One, reviews for the movie came out really early um, because uh, Warner Brothers was very sure of it. They were very sure. So a lot of the reviews ran the week beforehand. We saved ours for Thursday because we wanted people to really talk about it and and remember that the movie was coming out. Um, But most outlets ran them, I believe, seven days early, which is it's a lot for a movie. As anyone who reads game reviews or even movie reviews know, they usually come out a day or two beforehand um, or day of if the studio has absolutely no belief in its its movie. the other thing that happened, so one, you have people not really talking about it. The other thing that happened was because the movie is so spoiler, spoilery in every angle, in every aspect, the trailer couldn't say much. The trailers basically said, hey, Harrison Ford and, and Ryan Gosling are doing a sequel to that movie that some of you watched a really long time ago. And that's kind of all we can tell you. It's going to be great. They're in it. That doesn't really tell you anything about the movie. I was talking to a friend about this and the conversation I like to have is pitch this to your parents. Your parents who probably aren't super into Blade Runner, they might be and that's awesome, but I think of my parents who like to go watch the occasional comedy or like a Oscar nominated movie at a movie theater. They're, they don't really pay attention to what's happening. And I don't know how I would pitch Blade Runner 2049 to them. I couldn't tell them anything about the movie without spoiling it. I'd have to explain the whole history of Blade Runner if they haven't seen the original. And it's still, even then, I'd have to explain like, hey, it's kind of slow. It's a really weird artsy movie that's masquerading as a sci-fi film, Um, but it's good. That's that's a really hard sell. And what people forget is that when Blade Runner came out, Blade Runner also did not do well at the box office. This movie, and I'm sure that Warner Brothers is disappointed, but they also know that this movie was not going to be a $100 million movie. This was not going to be a, a Marvel movie. And I think they knew that. This was made because there was a great vision. Denis Villeneuve, who's a fantastic actor, was attached to it. Harrison Ford wanted to do it. So all the ingredients were there to make the movie. I don't think anyone is surprised um, who like kind of studies the, analyt- uh, the uh, analytics of film is surprised that this movie did not do super well. 
Well, the original turned into a cult classic. As you, I believe, say in your review and, and some of the other things that you've written, it took people a few years even to really discover the film and, and to, to fall in love with the film. Perhaps the same happens here, and it has a long life on Blu-ray and, and other medium going forward. But, you know, to, to repeat, it's, it's best experienced in person in the theater. Anything that Anything else that you would recommend folks do before they they go in and, and see the film is it is it necessary to, to re-watch the original would that be a good idea i always think it's a good idea to rewatch the original um to put that into perspective if i am going to review an avengers movie for polygon i watch as many of the marvel movies as i can beforehand just because they there's so much that you have to take in and with blade runner although there aren't as many movies blade runner the level of kind of knowledge and data that's given to you is a lot to take in and so i definitely think it's worth it to revisit just to refresh your mind i also think and i don't normally promote this because i i don't normally promote marketing but there were three short films that were released before blade runner 2049 came out one of them examined 2048 so the year just before the movie takes place one of them examines 2036, which is a very important year. It's the year that Neander Wallace, who I mentioned earlier, it's the year that he introduces the Nexus 9 replicants and talks to the government, essentially, about prohibition. And the third one, and the most important one, in my opinion, is the anime, which was directed by Cowboy Bebop's director, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. What? I didn't know there was an anime. Yeah, it's about 14 minutes. It's the longer short. But it examines the EMP um, explosion of 2022. And this is what, this led to the year of darkness. This led to replicant, uh, for basic, this led to the archival libraries being deleted. There was no more information about replicants and that allowed many of them to get away. That in particular is super important, not just for understanding the movie, but really empathizing with what is happening. It's the the shorts are done so incredibly well the first two are directed by luke scott who is ridley scott's son um it's and it's t in conjunction with the movie essentially and luke scott told polygon this we talked to him about it and i think he is 100 percent right about this the shorts are almost like a cheat for denis villeneuve they allow him to gloss over certain narrative arcs that luke scott can focus on and help tell the story Watching those three, which I did and then I reported on, of course, for our the website, gave me such a better understanding and adoration for what the movie did and what the story had accomplished that I would recommend setting aside about half an hour and just watching all three shorts. Well, I've got my homework then before I head out to the theater tonight. Thank you so much for coming on, Julia. You're one of the busiest folks at Polygon, and I appreciate you taking the time to spend with us here on Quality Control. Thank you. And thanks to you at home for listening today. We've got so much more on Polygon.com. Did you know that there's a brand new Star Wars trailer? You probably do. I think <laughs> I went, sat down and watched it last night, and a half million other people had been there before me. But... We've got lots of analysis and more information about what's coming in the next Star Wars film this December. Until we've got another game to talk about, this is Charlie Hall for Julia Alexander. Thank you for listening to Polygons. Quality control.
LibriVox Media Podcast Network.